0: Welcome to R slash malicious compliance, where a stupid manager gets himself fired. Our next Reddit post is from The Flump. So I started a new job about two years ago, and I finally found a job that I'm naturally good at, which has been amazing because my performance has been top-notch. I've had no disciplinary actions, and I've even gotten a few awards. So I started helping out my fellow coworkers when they were struggling, and especially helping out the newbies who just got off training. Our training is garbage generic training for three weeks, which has literally nothing to do with our sector, and we're literally told to forget everything we learned because it just doesn't apply to us. So, naturally, our newbies struggle a lot at the start, and that tanks the performance for the entire team. So, I wanted to be a good team player now that I finally felt like I knew what I was doing, but apparently, that was a mistake on my part. After three months of helping my team, I was called into a meeting with our coach to discuss my behavior. I was told that I wasn't allowed to help my coworkers because I'm not trained in that field, and only the higher-ups are supposed to answer questions and make decisions within our job. And that would be fine and understandable if the coach was available for the entire eight-hour shift to answer questions and help people, which they aren't. I pointed this out along with some statistics that since I started helping out, our performance has gone up each month, and it helps the newbies feel welcome because they have a non-superior coworker they can ask questions to without needing to worry about it. This was another mistake on my part. Our coach got really, really angry, and I was basically told that this is how it is, and if I'm caught giving unsanctioned help again, I'll receive disciplinary action. Okay, fine, have it your way, you sad, pathetic excuse of a human. I screenshotted the conversation, dug up performance reports prior to me helping, during me helping, and for the next three months without me helping. And wow, shocker, we started tanking in our performance. How could this have happened? So, the entire team got called into a big meeting with the higher, higher ups, our manager, and our coach to discuss what the hell is going on and why we're doing so awful. I let everyone speak their piece, and at the end of the meeting, I just asked if I could have five minutes of one of the big chiefs' time, because I think I might just have a solution to help improve our performance. He was actually surprisingly interested, so he called me up after the meeting to hear me out. I told him about the whole situation, showed screenshots, performance results, the whole nine yards. This dude was visibly shook, a bit lost for words to be honest, but he said that he really appreciated the input, and he would look into fixing this internally, and that was that. Three days later, our coach resigned to search for greener pastures. da <laughs> ha F you. OP, you committed the cardinal sin, which is making your boss look bad by doing their job better than they could. OP went on to clarify in an edit that, of course, she didn't get a pay raise. And that's just so incredibly stupid, because if you have a worker who's like, clearly, objectively improving the performance of your team, why would you not hire that person into doing the job that they're doing better than their manager was? Like, isn't that just a stupidly obvious, clear answer? But nope. Corporate BS is always going to be corporate BS. And speaking of stupid corporate BS, we have this post from Raptor Blues down below. It's amazing how clueless management can be. I worked a field job where we had to call an 800 number after on site service so we could log our time. Our company started cutting back on the people that we would call in that call center to save money. Those attempts to save money ended up costing the company a massive amount of money because they had 300 workers in the field just sitting on hold for hours at a time waiting to log their service calls. One of our service directors visited our city, and I asked for five minutes with him, just as you did. In that five minutes, we did a math problem together. 300 workers in the field times one hour of waiting on hold a day equals 300 hours per day wasted on hold by field personnel. Mr. Director, how many call center reps do you think that we could hire with that? A couple? It was like someone lit a light bulb over his head. He walked away, and three weeks later, we heard that he had started his own initiative to hire additional call center workers. It came as no surprise in the coming months when our hold times went back to a few minutes per call. Our next Reddit post is from Poncho Muffin. I work for an embroidery company that embroiders logos onto uniform shirts. There's this one particular shirt that we get all the time that has a diagonal closure so the left side of the chest is essentially covered by a huge flap coming from the right side. There is such little room on the left side that any logo bigger than an inch looks like it's going to go into the person's armpits. After a few complaints, we made a policy to only allow that shirt to put logos on the right side. A big company we work with likes to make massive orders with generalized embroidery placement. Whenever I would see this particular shirt was in the mix, I would reach out to them to let them know that we had to switch a logo to the right side. One difficult manager from that company reached out to the client with my suggestion and got an earful because the client insisted their logo could only be placed on the left due to company policy. Instead of smoothing it over with her client, the rep took it out on me. She sent me a very aggressive email stating that we were perfectly capable of embroidering the shirt on the left side because we had done it in the past, and to stop blowing up her inbox with suggestions for a better embroidery location. From now on, whatever embroidery location the order requests was final. I saved the email, and I got my boss's blessing to immediately stop all quality control emails for this company, per the manager's request. One day, a huge order comes in, all diagonal closure shirts, all left-side embroidery. I maliciously complied and sent the order on its way, with no hassle to that manager. A week later, an executive from that company emails me, horrified. He forwarded me photos of the client's shirts, all with the logos in the armpits. He said they had to refund the client over $10,000 and that the client was in an uproar. And he never wanted to order shirts from them again. He asked me, why didn't we tell them that this was a bad location for the embroidery? I didn't say a word. I simply forwarded the email the manager sent me, telling me verbatim that I was to no longer waste the company's time making useless suggestions for those shirts. Our next reddit post is from Throw 08 No." This took place about 15 years ago and involved Wells Fargo. There are some important parts that come into play. One: My spouse and I were young and dumb financially. We both had bounced a few checks on our own checking accounts. They were closed a few years prior. Wells Fargo offered a way to rehab your checking account history. They offered you the opportunity to pay them an additional $10 a month to have the right to have a checking account. They restricted the release of funds and made life difficult to even have a checking account. But if you played by their rules, you could graduate to a traditional checking account after a year. 3. I participated in the opportunity checking. I participated in this program and graduated my account. My spouse had lived without a checking account for a few years and wanted to try again. Four. I took my spouse to Wells Fargo. We explicitly explained my spouse’s previous history and specifically asked for their awful checking rebuilding accounts. We knew that my spouse had to start at the bottom. Five. The branch manager entered the basic information and said there was no need for the rehab checking account. My spouse qualified for the regular account. We asked again to be absolutely sure. Yes, no rehab needed. Here’s some starter checks. Your ATM card will be in the mail in a week they gladly took an initial cash deposit of 500 bucks. Fast forward a week. We get the ATM card and we call to activate it. Your account has been closed. Why? We determined that you've had bad checking history previously. We go round and round about how we covered this, disclose it up front, and we ask for the checking rehab account. You'll have to go back and open that account if you want it. We can't change the account. So, they're closing the account because we have to have the rehab checking account. The one that we specifically asked for and they refused. Facepalm. My spouse didn't know what to say, so we got on speakerphone. I started asking questions. I asked, so will you pay the outstanding checks and refund the rest? No, we won't pay any checks. You'll be charged for return checks from your merchants. Since then, my spouse had written three checks totaling less than a hundred bucks. Very few places accepted starter checks. I said, but we have the funds in the closed accounts to pay them. What's the issue? We don't do that. At this point, the person on the phone became flustered. Nobody seems to ever have the funds or the audacity to demand them to pay checks written in good faith. They had no answers on why they refused that checking account, which we should have had in the first place. They didn't think that they had a responsibility to notify us that the account was closed. And how dare we challenge their policy! They didn't like how I kept pointing out that there wasn't a single thing that we did wrong, but they think that they're not responsible for return check fees. So, the person on the phone decided to just not talk to me any longer. They hung up and we called back. The same thing happened. Finally, they offered this gem. We won't talk to anyone except the name on the account. Click. Their only possible chance to avoid a difficult discussion where they owned their mistakes was clinging to not letting someone else ask questions with the account holder's permission. They even refused to let me tell my spouse what to ask and respond to my spouse directly. You can only talk to the name on the account? Okay. So, I called back. Miraculously, in 60 seconds, I now identified as a different person. Thanks for calling Wells Fargo. May I have your name? I gave my spouse's name. Then, there was a long pause. You aren't spouse's name. Sure I am. Ask me anything. Name, social security number, address, mother's maiden name, date of birth. I gave all the information, and then there was another long pause. No, you're not the spouse. Why do you say that? Because you're a man. Wait a minute. That's why you closed my account? Because I'm a man? I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Please hold. A manager finally comes on we have a little back and forth about who I identify as. But seeing how I'm not doing anything except demanding they pay checks on my spouse's account, written by my spouse, with funds in their possession, there isn't much they can fight. But they finally agreed to pay the three checks from the funds in the account. They didn't want to, but the name on the account demanded it. And the fallout? They had to do the right thing after wasting hours fighting it. Down in the comments, we have this story from Blaith. When my mom died, we were trying to close accounts and switch names on the account. It was for things like paying off mortgages and changing the utilities, things that had to be done pretty soon after she passed away. I was told repeatedly that they would only speak to the account holder. I understood they were just following their training, but come on, she was dead. How was I supposed to get in touch with her? I told one person they would need a medium or a Ouija board to speak to her, and if they did make contact, to have her call me because I wanted to speak to her too. Then Torak replies, When my grandmother passed, my grandfather took her urn with him to the various banks and whatnot. He placed it on people's desks so they could speak to her directly. It made the whole process a lot quicker. Our next Reddit post is from Ashtit. I work in healthcare, where phones are not allowed to be used while we're caring for patients. This is for privacy reasons, which is fine and understandable. Most of us have our phones on us or in the break room, and we don't use them unless on break or away from patient care areas. None of us check our phones while we're busy, and if we do, we'll always get called out for it by other staff. We were all recently in a meeting where we were told that we're no longer allowed to have our phones on us because it's a distraction and against policy. Meaning, we can't use our phones unless we're out of our unit or off hospital grounds. A few people piped up and said they had young kids in care where their phone was a direct communication for their carers, or they had issues at home, so they had to keep their phones on them at all times. Not only that, but we also have a half hour of unpaid lunch break where we should be able to use our phones as we see fit. But this was also denied because it's still in a healthcare setting and it could cause privacy issues. Now, I know that working in healthcare and personal mobile phones don't mix, and it really is against policy. However, completely denying us access to our phone is a total overreaction. They brushed off our concerns that some people had trouble at home by saying that if things were really that bad at home, then we shouldn't be at work. Many people were a bit taken back by this, saying that a lot of home issues are resolved by a quick text back, and not allowing us access to our phones while at work was a bit unreasonable. Our manager said that if that's the case, then we can just give people her direct work number and messages can go through her. So cue malicious compliance. We gave her phone number to all of our home contacts, spouses, carers, schools, etc. And as a result, her phone started continuously ringing. The first was a lady whose husband needed approval for a big financial decision at home. The next was a vet calling to tell a coworker that their dog had to be put down. I got a call from my children's daycare saying that my son had been bitten and he was bleeding. There were several other phone calls within the span of a few hours, with my manager running to find us to relay messages or pull us off the floor so we could speak to the callers. She was wasting more time than if we were allowed to just shoot back a quick text or take a call during a break. The next day, we were told that we could have access to our phones while on break and to please tell our home contacts to stop calling the manager's phone. It took a few days for everyone to get the message, meaning there were still many unnecessary calls coming through. But it made it obvious that the need for communication lines to be open at home was important. Our next Reddit post is from Dev, So, I booked a flight for the 24th of December to visit my grandparents. Trying to be responsible, I booked the flight 8 weeks in advance. I paid 150 euros for both flights, and sure, I'll pay the extra 6 euros for a suitcase. So, everything is good and I stop worrying about the flight. Well, last week I got an email telling me the flight time has changed. Okay, I check it, and great, it departs 2 hours earlier. No worries. Three days later, ping, I get another email, but now the flight is a day prior. Shoot, I have university that day, but let me see what I can do. I contact customer service and jump through hoops, but there's no alternative flight. While browsing, I notice the flight is now a bit cheaper, 40 euros cheaper. So, I ask if I can get a partial refund or an upgrade due to the inconvenience of the flight leaving earlier and me reshuffling my schedule. Well, nope. They insist that I can only accept the flight or cancel it fully. I hold off. It's not worth the hassle, I think. Who knows how long it'll take to get my money back. So, after a few days, I check the flight, and, wow, they reduced the price again. Now, the asking price is just 8 euros. That's almost free. So, I ask, again, is a partial refund possible? No. Okay, no problem. Please cancel my booking. 24 hours later, they notify me the full refund has been processed. Great! Now I book the flight again, for just 15 euros there and back again. Now that's a cheap flight. The taxi to the airport cost me more, but hey, no partial refunds. That was our slash malicious compliance, and this is our slash puppy bloopers. Oh my god, Hugo, that is nasty. You gotta get out. Come on, dog. Come on. You go. <laughs> you can't fart in here, dog. Oh, this is awful. Come on. Come on. You go. Oh, I gotta air this out. Holy shit, dog. You got stinky farts, pooch.